The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to tell you each and every week, I'm also the author of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And I am in partnership, that is my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying and What is Chen Selling. And I must tell you that now is the time to sign up for Chen's letter. Chen accepts new subscribers only during the first quarter, uh, during the first 10 business days of each uh for each calendar quarter. So right now, uh, there's another, this is the last week, in fact, that you can sign up for Chen until uh, the fall quarter starts. So uh, if you're interested in signing up for this excellent newsletter, would suggest you go to miningstocks.com. That's miningstocks.com. Uh, or you can call our office here in New York during regular business hours at 718 457 1426. 718 457 1426. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, uh, making it one of the most popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel, and uh, also want to encourage you to send along uh, questions um, and comments and criticisms or uh, accolades, whatever you feel, if you'd like to. We uh, always do like to hear from our listeners, and we do hear from quite a few of you, but we could always, uh, would always like to hear from more of you, either, uh, either positively or negatively, if there's things you think we could improve on. Would like to hear you about hear from you about that as well as things you think we're doing well. So I want to thank each of you for listening. We also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors uh, for today's show are Caden Resources, Ganey Capital Corp, and Uranium Energy Corporation. And Ganey Capital Corp is a new sponsor, uh, a company that I've recently added to my own newsletter. It's a company that uh, figures to be in production very shortly in Mexico. What I like about them is their prospect for growing organically. Uh, if they're able to do what they say they can do and what their management suggests they should be able to do, then uh, it's a company I think can grow organically. And that is so important among the smaller mining companies that have to continually sell shares to stay alive and keep their heart beating. So it's a, 
that's one that I like a lot. We'll be hearing from the CEO of that company in the not-too-distant future. Well, I've titled uh, today's show, Who is Right About Gold, Goldman Sachs or Eric Sprott? And uh, we'll ask Peter Grandage for his opinion on that question in just a couple of minutes. Peter is uh, scheduled to join me, in fact, right after the first commercial break coming up in just a, a couple of minutes from now. Um, we will, uh, regardless of whether the price of gold is heading higher or lower, if we are investing gold mining shares, it goes without saying that we want to own those shares with the highest return for the least amount of risk. And one of the most qualified people uh, to help us find stocks that optimize risk-reward trade-off, in my view, is Brent Cook. He's an exploration geologist who advises some of the top gold fund managers in the world. Brent will join me at approximately half past the hour to discuss why the odds of finding a profitable mining discovery are so low and what we as investors should look for uh, as the exploration story of these various companies unfolds. And uh, then I want to ask him for a couple of his favorite picks, the things he, um, he thinks fit the criteria that he will have laid out to us uh, as well. Uh, so we'll look forward to a couple of Brent's favorite um, mining picks at this uh, a little later today. Uh, in the second hour of today's show, aired exclusively at jtaylormedia.com, I will be speaking with David Jensen, who points to some very significant anomalies in the platinum group markets uh, and to a lesser extent in the silver markets that he thinks uh, suggest the entire precious metals complex is about to break out to the upside and perhaps in a very dramatic fashion. And David will also talk about why the mainstream discussion about irregularities in the London gold fix is really more of a distraction uh, and that, that probably does more harm than good in ferreting out the reality. What David really believes the problem is not the efficiency of the so-called London fix, which is supposedly based on, on uh, true free market conditions, but rather the fact that the paper markets are used uh, as a means of distorting price rather than uh, for uh, price discovery, for accurate price discovery. Um, so David will also have some very interesting observations, I think, about how he sees the current financial markets unraveling and how that will eventually lead to much higher prices uh, for gold. Uh, David likes to talk about John Exter's uh, inverted pyramid, which I think in my own view, it provides a great deal of insight into what happens uh, when uh, when governments have printed, uh, central banks have printed excessive amounts of money and created excessive amounts of debt. So uh, I, I would guess uh, whether I would guess that David probably thinks uh, Eric Sprott's view of the world is is more accurate than uh, than that of Goldman Sachs, but uh, we'll we'll find out. Uh, I'm expecting uh, David may also join me for some insights uh, into the rising anti-U.S. sentiment in uh, Europe and certainly in France and to a lesser extent Germany. Uh, very interesting stuff with Daniel McAdams still settling into his new home in Texas near Ron Paul uh, where he has moved to uh, help carry out the work in heading up the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. I am happy to tell you that Glenn Downs will be uh, with me instead of Daniel again this week. Uh, as, as I say, Daniel is very occupied with his move. Uh, Glenn Downs is the chief of staff for Congressman Wendell Jones. Uh, he'll be with me during the second half of the second hour today at jtaylormedia.com to provide some insights into domestic U.S. politics as well as his take on some of the geopolitical issues that I believe and I think Glenn probably believes as well threaten the U.S. dominance uh, and the U.S. currency, which is, uh, of course, 
um, what allows the U.S. to dominate. It's the, the use of the dollar and the ability to create endless amounts of dollars seemingly out of thin air in order to... Um, uh, in, in order to advance the empire, and clearly the United States is no longer a republic. It is an empire. Empires do nasty things to people, and our empire is no different. And I think if you, uh, if you view the world, at least take a look at the world through the lenses of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, or listen to what Glenn Downs has to say, you might see a little different vision of the world than what you get in the mainstream media, which is owned and operated and controlled by the very people that uh, have the most to lose uh, if the dollar loses its value. Well, we aren't wishing for, for hard times. We're not wishing for difficulties and so, so that we can become wealthy by any means. What we're trying to do is look at the world as it really exists and then prepare as best we can for ourselves and for our families, for our loved ones. Uh, and that's why we are suggesting that it's very important that people opt out of a fraudulent currency, which the dollar is. There's no, nothing fair and honest about it. They cre- create endless amounts of it. Uh, and those that have control of the new creation of, of currency are then able to bid away the wealth that hardworking, honest people create. That's the long and the short of it. Well, we do have a lot of ground to cover today, so let's get right to our first commercial so that we get... Uh, so we can hear what Peter Grandich has to say. I believe Peter is going to be with us right on the other side of the break. So don't go away. We'll be uh, right back with Peter Grandich. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased with, uh, to have with me today an old friend, a, a guy I've known for oh, a couple of decades now, I suppose, Peter Grandich. Peter really doesn't need any introduction, I think, to most listeners on this show, if, but uh, if by any chance 
some of you listening out there aren't familiar with Peter Grandage, uh, who's a very prolific writer and uh, blogger and uh, has been around these markets for, for not quite as, well, just about as long as I have, I guess. Uh, but you should go to the Voice America Business Channel, the website, uh, go to the Turning Hard Times into Good Times page at the Voice America uh, Business Channel website, and there you can read Peter's bio as well as the bios of all the other guests that appear on this show. But suffice it to say that Peter is a very savvy market analyst, uh, but one who thinks his creator is the uh, originator of his talents and his gifts, so he gives thanks to God for that. Uh, and uh, I'm quite sure uh, one of the things that I've really appreciated about Peter over the years is that realizing that uh, what he has is uh, not only his own doing but from uh, sourced from his creator is that he then shares with other people, and he has run a number of uh, events over the years as well as giving of his own money, but has... Uh, run a number of events over the years in which he's raised money for people that were unfortunate uh, for one reason or another. So Peter is a special guy in my view, and he is also, as I say, though, a very savvy market analyst. So welcome, Peter. Really glad to have you with me again. Oh, I appreciate that, Jay, and uh, I do give uh, all the success and credit to my creator. Uh, I, I don't know why, at times, someone as a sinner as myself gets these gifts, but uh, we can't, the old saying, we can't look a gift horse in the mouth. We just got to be blessed that we have them, and we got to make sure that we do the most with them. So I, I'm honored to be here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really true. I mean, we don't know, uh, you know, why we are blessed as we are a lot of times. We don't deserve it, uh, but I guess those of us who are believing Christians believe that it is the grace of God, and uh, we, uh, that, that God loves us, and he cares for us, and he gives us what we need. So uh, at least if we trust in him, that's true. And it's very easy not to, Peter, because most uh, everything we hear, I think we are being programmed by our government, by the educational system that we have, uh, and I think against all scientific evidence to not believe in a creator. But that's another story for another day, and there are theologians that we've had on this show uh, on a couple of events, a couple of occasions, uh, scientists that have talked about this. I, I really clearly believe that uh, something else at work here that wants to keep people. You know, I, I do believe this, Peter, and I think you would probably agree, that if we, uh, if we don't believe in a creator, capital C, as our founding fathers clearly did, because they stated that in the, uh, in the Declaration of Independence, then we have to trust in a human being for our, uh, for, for our good graces. And, uh, you know, that hasn't worked out too well over history, has it? No, and, and you're right, and, and I think a, a major cause of the difficulties that we'll probably just touch on today uh, that have grown in America, it's not coincidental that they've grown as America has moved away from what its forefathers saw and, and trusting in God and making God uh, the, the true leader of the country. And so uh, I think a whole host of those problems, and obviously now it's at the top because we have a president that has not acted at all in that manner, and because mm-hmm. of that, we have uh, so many more difficulties. So, yeah, I, I concur with you, and, and again, I'll just say that uh, I feel blessed, you know, that I have this opportunity every once in a while, like a blind squirrel, and, and be able to be right about something. Yeah, well, the same same goes for me as well. Uh, Peter, you know, I recall uh, getting into the markets now. Let's, t- let's talk a little bit about 2009. You turned very bullish, and, and that was, you know, at a time... Well, it was right at the bottom of the market or maybe a month or two out of the bottom, but there was no way of knowing 
that we were on to a real any kind of a real sustained bull market. I don't want to say economic recovery because I don't believe we've really had much of one if we've had one at all. But the stock market has been on a tear since 2009, and uh, you know, and some some people have said it's the most uh, the most difficult market uh, and, the, and the most difficult economic decline that we've had since the 1930s. So pessimism, mine included, was so thick that you could cut it with a knife. What did you see then, Peter? And, and maybe you were the blind sparrow that was just directed by the grace of God. I don't know if that's what you're going to tell me. But I, I have to think that you probably had some insights in 2009 that helped you say, no, I think, Taylor, I don't think you're right about this now. I think I think we're going to see a sustained market, or we're going to see an up, upturn in the equity market. What, could you tell us what you saw back in 2009? Sure. I, it, there, there was no feeling that anyone was wrong and I was right or what have you. What it transpired was in late 2007, uh, I believe, like you and some others, uh, the handwriting was on the wall that America mm-hmm. was out of control and a debt problem and a credit problem and a whole series of things. and turn bearish. And then in early 2009, when it was uh, obvious that the Fed was going to go into a, uh, a mode of money creation unlike the country had never seen, uh, and, and a belief that most, when that happens, most of that money goes to the top of the pyramid and they benefit the most, but where they benefit the most is in the markets and in financial markets. So it was really that that led me to believe that despite not thinking the economy was going to do great, the stock market, what I called at the time, would have the greatest bear market rally it ever had, and it did, and then some. Mm-hmm. And uh, while I was no chest-beating bull and telling everybody to buy every single share they can get and enjoy a lifetime of a bull market, uh, I didn't be like others and stay very bearish, even mm-hmm. though they were correct in the decline of 2007. But at the same time, at the beginning of this year, uh, I decided to put the bear... Uh, hat back on, and the market has moved somewhat higher uh, from the time that we've done that. So, you know, uh, I'm just like everybody else, put my pants, legs on one leg at a time. But I did feel uh, that we were going to get one last pop through April, May, and June. It's something I've written extensively because one of the few financial columnists that I have a lot of time for, uh, his name is John Cridell. He's been writing for the New York Post for decades. Uh, he has been writing a series of stories of basically demonstrating and proving that the uh, monthly employment numbers are rigged and that there was a, a series of fudgings and, and census bureau uh, takers who have, have fraudulently created counts but had also noted that in the, the months of April, May, and June that there would be these substantial seasonal adjustments being done that would artificially enhance the bull market. So there's mm-hmm. a belief in me that we would run up to the July 4th period that the market could still make one run, but as I noted yesterday in my, in my writings to my readers, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I think the party is up, and uh, even with the Fed still in somewhat accommodating mode, that uh, the, the total weight of all the known bearish fundamentals, which I'm sure you've discussed to your, in your show, and don't, people don't need to hear them all from me again, but the just dramatic number of bearish fundamentals as well as technicals are going to finally bring the weight down on this equity market, and it's a time not to be very long, in my opinion, in general equities. Mm-hmm. 
Well, uh, indeed, and, and let me just, before we go any further, let me tell my listeners that the place to go to, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Peter, but where I've picked up information that you uh, and your thoughts that you uh, provide for, for listeners or for readers is moneytalks.net. Is that the place yes, to go? Yes, moneytalks.net, one word, moneytalks.net. There's a column called Peter's Content, and I write uh, for that group uh, a daily or almost daily market commentary and general financial markets and personal financing uh, column. Right, and I would suggest that it's a place that uh, I should go to every day. I don't. I must I must confess because I've got so many things to go to, but whenever I go there, I'm not – I'm always pleased to, to get your thoughts, Peter, be, just because I know – uh, that, uh, that that you are a man of integrity, but also I, even if you're a man of integrity uh, and you didn't get things right sometimes, I would probably not think that's worthwhile going there. But you seem to hit the nail on the head a lot, and uh, and and this is just one more example. So now uh, you called the turn back then very well, and you called the turn uh, many times in the past. In fact, you uh, you like to t- talk about how. You became a legend in your own mind, I think is the way you humbly put it now. But you, you had some great calls, and you gained some notoriety on Wall Street for your calls. And, uh, and uh, you know, it, it served you well in many ways. But, uh, okay, so, so you see the possibility now that, we've, that this thing is, is, is mainly over uh, or could be over. I guess you think it's highly likely that's the case. And you're not alone there. There are a few others, although I think the market sentiment, for the most part, is still very bullish, isn't it? It all, you know, it, it's interesting you say that there's, there's a lot of uh, unusual patterns this time around. You know, you and I, you talked as in the outset of us going back to entering the business in the early 80s, and I uh-huh. feel somewhat of a dinosaur now because <laughs> the markets aren't anything resembling what they once were then. There's really nothing in common then. Uh-huh. But there are some unusual factors in this time around. Despite the market making uh, new highs over the last several months, the general public has not been the participant like they've used to be in the past. In fact, they've been mm-hmm. net sellers of mutual funds. Much of this has uh, been driven up by these algorithms and these uh, major, major institutions pushing the money up. And normally the way they get out through most bull markets, how they peak, there's an hysteria phase where the, the public plunges in and uh, they buy up uh, much of this stuff and the big guys get out. That isn't happening now, and, and, and that's been the unusual thing. And my cynic view has been that's why the Fed keeps pushing things, because they need to get these guys out. And uh, so there's this artificial belief that the economy is doing well. Uh, a classic example before we run out of time, and uh, somebody I know, I know we both know, John Williams, made very strong yes. height of this over the weekend. The employment numbers were such a joke Friday. The joke of it was that, yes, there was 288,000, and yes, there was seasonally adjusted stuff and all, but we only got that number because so many people went to part-time work versus full-time work, oh. but they don't count them as different. They just count it as employment, and uh, to, to see that there was actually a net decline of 590,000 full-time workers would wow. get it the bedevil out of most people is reported that way. And uh, so there's just a series of things that are out there, Jay. I think that's it. Uh, the control of the currency made a report on Friday that almost no one covered, and that was a warning that we're ready for another uh, credit crisis lasting in the mortgage industry back in 2007, only this wow. time it's going to be around auto loans, that My so goodness. many auto loans have been packaged uh, into uh, mortgage-like 
packaging where people buy the uh, hope for rate to return. Right. And now so many of them are going to be underwater. The average auto loan is five and a half years. That means most people who have an auto loan, their car is worth less than they're actually owe. Uh, it's just another accident waiting to happen, and it's just, just there's just too many glaring uh, negatives and warning signals that are being sent out that I think it just pays heed to take an attitude of to be a live chicken versus a dead duck and just <laughs> shy away from general equities at this point. Yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's probably a, a good idea, and of course uh, shy away from dead instruments as well. I mean, yeah, and if you, one if, last thing before we run out of time too is yeah. where people have gone, and I do so much work now in our in our uh, financial planning business uh, with people fifty five and over or most need of income because of what the Fed has done and created really a no interest rate environment. Uh, people have gone to all sorts of crazy thoughts and ideas on how to chase yield for income. Yeah. And one of the things they've done is they've driven junk bonds, or like call them high yield bonds, but they're really junk bonds to such extremes that the spread between junk bond yields and treasuries has shrunk to levels last seen, guess when? 2007, just well, there before you go. the last credit crisis. So I'll tell you this, uh, I don't suggest to anybody run out and short the market, but if there's one thing you said to me, Pete, what's one bearish thing if I had you back 12 or 24 months from now, if God lets us live that long, you can feel that you can hang your hat on, and that is going to be junk bonds are going to get killed going forward. It'd be the mm-hmm. last investment I would want to own, and quite frankly, if there were ways to short it, and uh, I can be speculative if one can be, it'd be a play right now. I think that's just a, an accident waiting to happen. Well, another person who certainly agrees with you on that is Robert Prechter and reading his latest letters as well. But, you know, Peter, I just have to ask you, looking at – uh, I'm wondering to what extent demographics might also play in the fact that, that people are not, as many people are not, um, you know, buying stocks at this late part of the cycle. Because usually that's how the, the insiders, the big money, the smart, so-called smart money, uh, gets rid of their, their paper, right? And the, uh, and, the, and the retail guys come in at the very end and get, always get hosed. Uh, the other thing I would say is uh, we're hearing now um, from that, that governments are spending trillions of dollars to buy equities as well. So do you see this thing that possibly this equity market could, could be a total fraud essentially, like almost like the U.S. Treasury market is? It's totally you know, where the Fed steps in and buys, and buys this paper? Well, you know, I think there's an argument that in, in, in a quasi way it has been doing that uh-huh. by creating the system that it has that, that has allowed these in big investment houses and bankers to, to do all the things that they've been doing. There's no question that it's been a very narrow group that has benefited since the last credit crisis by what the Fed has done. Let's not forget the original premise on this. The thing we were sold coming out of that terrible credit crisis was on QE1 was, listen, if we can raise financial asset prices, people will feel wealthier and spend wealthier, meaning that since the stocks and bonds prices went up, people will go out and buy refrigerators and cars and what have you. And yes, in the very high wealth area, that's exactly what people have done. But the vast majority of Americans have not seen that wealth increase. We've seen it by all the statistics, how personal income is flat, wage increases are flat, yet costs are going up. And so the whole premise of the original reason QE1 was created has never worked. And realistically, QE2, 3, and 4 have been done because of the failure of QE1. And yeah. eventually, I will tell you this, 
when the market turns down, and because the United States has allowed the Congress to get away from its responsibility of being in charge of fiscal matters in the U.S. and has put this uh, burden on the Fed, and the Fed has accepted it and made the Fed somehow in charge of the economy as well, when the economy slips and falls and comes down hard, again, you'll see the Fed creating some type of paper program believing that they're the ones that are responsible for the solution to make things better again. And so anybody that thinks, even though interest rates will go up again and all, and that the Fed will remain tight, has another thing coming because it's painted itself into a corner and has really self-appointed itself as the guardian of the U.S. economy and has allowed Congress to get away for almost two decades, and that includes yeah. Republicans as well. And because oh, we don't have any fiscal responsibility more out of Washington, it's just another sin we're going to pay for. Well, it's the animal spirits uh, idea that comes from Lord Keynes, uh, the notion that all we have to do uh, is give people money and, or, or jack up the stock market, and people feel good, so they'll go out and spend money. And as you say, the rich have, but it hasn't, certainly hasn't trickled down. And it's, of course, as David Stockman talks about, uh, they're not allowing price discovery in the capital markets by rigging the interest rates. And so we're in a mess, Peter. We, we have gotten ourselves, our policymakers, if they just could adhere to allowing the markets to work. But, you know, they can't. And I think and one of the reasons that we can't, we touched on a little earlier, is that they do no longer believe in a creator or natural law or, the, or that the universe is made uh, and is designed. It's uh, human beings that mess things up. And, uh, you know, unless you can acknowledge that and realize that it's, you know, it's we humans that, that fool that really mess things up. Then I think you're always looking for animal spirits or some brilliant PhD from from Princeton, as James Grant says. Uh, people have now turned to the P, to the PhD standard instead of the gold standard. So, anyway, Peter, uh, just one quick question before I let you go. Uh, we've titled our show today: Who's right about gold? Goldman Sachs or Eric Sprott? What uh, Eric Sprott is talking about five thousand dollar gold. I guess I think Goldman is looking for a thousand dollar gold. What are your thoughts? Who's well, who's closer I, I don't to being know right? About five thousand, but I think it's going to head in the direction of Sprott versus Goldman Sachs. We've seen everything and the kitchen sink thrown at gold these last few years. We've seen everybody turn about it. We've seen the whole financial journalism side, almost everyone, write negatively about it. And yet we've seen tremendous physical demand on any weakness. The thing that has upset gold bugs, if that's what they still want to call us or what have you, is that the mining share industry got decimated. So there's been a sense of a feeling that gold has done a lot worse than it really has. If you're just speaking about physical gold and not looking at mining shares and exploration stocks, what we went through was just a classic correction of after 12 straight years of going up. Sure. That correction is over, and I suspect that we're going to see gold continue to work its way higher. And when it gets above 1400 the all-clear signal will be given. And don't be surprised that you hear suddenly that Goldman Sachs is bullish again. Yeah, well, probably after the fact they will be, and then they'll try to claim that they were always bullish. Well, anyway, thank you very much, Peter. Uh, for your insights today, it's always good to hear from you. Well, folks, don't go away, because coming up next, Brent Cook will be with me to talk about why the odds are so high against discovering economic precious metals deposits. And uh, he'll share us, uh, with us, uh, hopefully, a couple of his favorite stocks. Companies he thinks are defying those poor odds, so uh, don't go away. We'll be right back with Brent Cook. We're 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am uh, your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have back with me today Brent Cook, um, an exploration geologist and mining analyst uh, who provides his services to uh, paid subscribers, but he also has a lot of very valuable information uh, for anyone who cares to go to his site, and I would suggest strongly that you consider doing that. Not consider doing it. Do it. It's explorationinsights.com, explorationinsights.com. There you can avail yourself uh, to some of the free stuff that Brent provides, but also uh, can sign up for his excellent newsletter. Uh, so, uh, welcome, Brent. It's really good to have you back with me again. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity, Jay. Always good to talk to you. Uh, always good to get your thoughts on uh, on the mining industry. Uh, you know, we've we've talked about this before, but I think it's always useful to hear hear it again and again. Uh, the odds of finding a an economic deposit are not very good, are they? They're of all the companies, probably a couple of thousand companies that uh, that trade junior mining companies, mostly small guys that don't have cash flow, that have to go out perpetually, it seems, to raise capital, to uh, to do more exploration work, and the odds of finding an actual commercial ore deposit are are what? What are the odds? Well, you know, it's it's that's a tough number to come up with, but Newmont did a study a few years back where they estimated that. Um, on an annual basis, one out of a thousand prospects come up with some sort of economic deposit, and one out of ten thousand actually result in the discovery of four million ounce or better deposit. Mm-hmm. Um, and and those are you know they're just straight across the odds. There's a lot a lot of ways you can improve those odds yourself, and I think you've got to take into consideration that um, you know there are. You know, a thousand companies. There are probably close to two thousand companies out there exploring right now. Yeah. So those are the odds, and understanding why those odds are that way is critical, I think, to investing in this sector. Well, no doubt it is. But before we get into that, 
tell me, uh, if Newmont's study, one in a thousand or one in ten thousand, is that in a given twelve-month period of time? Because you and I know that a lot of times, uh, you know, what what is becoming economic these days, now and then, when something does become economic, might have been first a mineralization or a, even a deposit might have been delineated two, three, four decades ago, or sometimes some of the mining properties are being opened up again that were first discovered in the 1930s. So was that, just a question in my mind, was that one in a thousand, is Newmont saying every year there's a chance of one in a thousand uh, mining companies coming up with something that's economic? That's my understanding. Again, this yeah. is this is real yeah. fuzzy, fuzzy stuff because, as you say, you can make, find a prospect in 1935, drill it in 1945, come up with some sort of resource in you know five years later yeah never actually put it in production for another 20 years so <laughs> yeah like I said, this is just buzzing i think that the point is that it's really really rare to find uh, all the attributes that you need in a mineral deposit to make it economic and that that's the real point is is that it's it's very rare so you've got to look for those um indications that keep you you know keep the project going forward and then it might be economic and if, if we got time, I'll go into the geology behind why it's the odds sure. are so low, how, why there's so many companies out there. Sure. In other words, you can't just throw darts at the uh, at the Vancouver, uh, well, no longer the Toronto Exchange, uh, the, the the gold mining companies on the Toronto Exchange, and ex- and expect with something better than a one in thousand chance of, of of hitting something that's going to find a deposit this year. So it's the odds are very small. But as you say, more importantly. Why are the odds so small? And if we understand that, then perhaps we can understand what to look for in increasing the odds. So let's start with that. What what makes what makes the odds so so small? Okay. Well, a, 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 an economic mineral deposit is really a, a geological anomaly on the Earth, where it's economically feasible to extract the metal. What these anomalies you know, this, and this is an anomaly. You don't find those everywhere. No. Well, over the 4.6 billion years or so that Earth's been here, it evolves, it changes, uh, subduction zones, volcanoes. Each of those events, if you will, sort of changes the rock that was there previously, and that is basically what we call an anomaly. Um, a magma body could uh, put arsenic and, and into a particular rock type and change it from a hard rock to a clay, those are geochemical and geo, uh, geophysical anomalies that we as exploration geologists go out and interpret um, that this could, that's the key word, could be the site where everything came together to make a, ge- uh, make a mineral deposit, economic mineral mm-hmm. deposit. But when you think, think of it, there's actually thousands, if not millions of these all over the earth. So yeah. that's why the, the odds are so low geologically speaking, and that's why it's so critical to find the fatal flaw in a company's project as soon as possible and, and move on. And I think doing that, you can improve, I know, you can improve your odds substantially. Well, Brent, I suppose that's one of the reasons that uh, you're considered a very hard grader when it comes to, uh, uh, to putting your stamp of approval on a lot of junior mining companies because you're probably looking for those fatal flaws early on. And I guess uh, some of the more liberal analyst, if I can use that term, would, would probably say, oh, yeah, but it's got a chance. It's got, it's got a chance in a, over, over a period of time, over, over various years. And if we get higher metal prices, that, that changes the odds as well. 
but I guess what, what do you do? You look at you look at gold now as if it's going to always be at uh, I don't know wherever it is thirteen hundred dollars thirteen twenty thirteen twenty five today something like that. Do you well, do you look at do you look at the uh, is that is that is that the way you approach it? I mean, I just think, from an economic point of view. I mean, never mind the geo, the geological issues that that we'll ask you about. The first thing I, I do is is you know what I'm talking about. What I'm buying is actually what I'm buying. What I'm spending my money on. Okay, um, yeah. So that is That's why I, I am so critical and try and you know find the right thing and get out as soon as things go wrong. Because the best way to lose money is when your investment thesis changes from. Uh, what you think is happening to hope? Hope doesn't make oh, much yeah. money. <laughs> yeah, hope's not a good idea. When so uh, so is that the way you operate, Brent? Is that uh, you recommend things that you have purchased earlier on? Uh, is, is that the way you do it? You you look for things that you really believe in, put your own money into it, and then tell yes. your subscribers. Yeah, basically, I don't make recommendations per se. I just tell people what I'm doing with my money and why. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, it depends on how urgent the news is. You know, usually I put out a, uh, a letter on the weekend. But if something happens, like today, if someone drills a fantastic drill hole and it looks like it's got a shot and it hangs together, you know, I'll, I'll buy it and put out a note right then saying, I'm buying this and here's why. So it really depends. But, yes, yeah, basically what I do is if, if I like something, I lay out the reasons behind it, what my thesis is. And what I think it might be worth, and, and why I'm buying it. How can we uh, walk us through the process that you go through in terms of finding a fatal flaw? Um, of course, what makes this difficult, of course, is every every mineralized uh, or every project, if it gets to the project point of, if it gets that far, every prospect is different, right? So, uh, and and even for even for the geologist, uh, for the uh, for the sci- for the geoscientist that understands this stuff. Um, it's it's really a step by step process, isn't it? I mean, you you do some some geophysical work or some surface work, and then you start to see the things that suggest this might have a chance. Then you do some more work, maybe some surface sampling of some kind, and you maybe put some drill holes down, and or whatever. And then at some point in time, you say you discover that the limits, the size of this thing isn't big enough or, or the grades aren't big enough or, or just walk us through how sort of step-by-step step how you would look at a project yeah, from grassroots a, on. Well, that's a good point. I mean, essentially we're dealing with um, mineral deposit models. So we have a deposit, uh, a geologic setting where the deposit is related to uh, a granite body or a volcano or a subduction zone or mm-hmm. something like that. So conceptually, we know what the geology is. And conceptually, mm-hmm. we know what the deposit, an economic deposit, will sort of look like. And you've always got to have in the back of your mind not just that, but also what it was going to potentially cost to mine it as an open pit or an underground, what the metallurgy is going to be. Um, all those sorts of things go into it. But I think you start with a basic concept of what – a uh, deposit is that a company is looking for and then compare their results to your uh, concept of what it needs to look like. And it's interesting you should mention that because just this last weekend we went through um, some spectacular looking results of a company drilling a hole in, uh, in Peru. And I went through you know, line by line what we did to find the fatal fall in this, fly in this project and uh, not buy it. 
and what the, what was the problem. In fact, if, you know, if the listeners are interested, I'd be happy to send this uh, one letter along to them with uh, just contact me via the website because it's you know it's short, but it's it's it was quick. I was able to uh, find the fatal flaw in this within okay. half an hour. Yet the stock jumped seventy percent on huge volume. So oh, okay. So the stock jumped. The stock jumped. I say. So so you looked through and you had this spectacular intersection. It looked on the surface looked like it was going to be really fantastic, right? Mm-hmm. And the market moved as a result of that. And yes. but you see a longer term fatal. You see a fatal flaw in the economics of this thing. Precisely. Okay. So and if people want to know. Uh, more about that, they can uh, they can uh, contact you at your website, uh, which is explorationinsights.com, and you'll send them a copy of that uh, of the letter that you sent out to your subscribers. Is that right? Yeah, I'm happy to. Just mentioned that uh, you heard about it on Jay Taylor's show, and I'll be glad to send it. Okay. Well, let me uh, let me request a copy of that, uh, Brent. Uh, <laughs> when it. we finish, if you'll if you'll email it to me, I greatly appreciate reading it. Okay. So, I mean, it's it's a it's a step by step process, and as you go along, as you mentioned, because a lot of times you don't know the metallurgy right away, or you fine tune the metallurgy. You you know, I guess sometimes you can get a pretty good sense of. Uh, whether it's a free milling deposit or whether it's not, or whether you're likely to have some uh, some nasty minerals there that's going to require an awful lot more cost to separate the the, the valuable uh, mineral from the rock. Uh, but it's but it takes time to do all this, doesn't it? I, I guess so. Would you look at something uh, right away in, in your own mind, and you saw that the mineralization looked iffy or looked like it's probably that it's problematic? then would you, I guess you would say the probability of success is a lot less than if that weren't the case. And you would start to look at other projects maybe and put that one on the back burner or get rid of it entirely. Uh, if it doesn't look like it's going to work, I'm going to sell it. But, you know, it's interesting. We've, we've made good money on projects that ultimately failed mm-hmm. because early on, you know, they looked encouraging. The results were encouraging. We followed them in detail. And then, and then slowly you start seeing, well, this is, not going to get any bigger or there's a metallurgical issue and so we sell out on a triple or, or better and six months later it's back down to where it started yeah so you, yeah, you can't make money on on ultimate failures but you got to be very careful yeah. yeah and of course that's not the intent the intent is to is to try to pick the the companies that will have long lasting value but you don't know uh the pieces it's like a it's like a jigsaw puzzle in my view to a certain extent uh, I suppose that you know some people are better at putting puzzles together than others. Some are faster than others, and so if you can be one of the first to start seeing that emerging face on this jigsaw puzzle quicker than others, uh, and the face doesn't look very pretty, you might want to get out. And I guess that's what you what you do for your subscribers. Uh, all right. Well, so let's see if we can uh, find a couple of companies that you think uh, can defy the odds. And one you mentioned to me that is in Ireland. Uh, Dalradian Resources uh, is one that you told me you like quite a bit. I think you said you were over in Ireland and visited the project. It's a 5 million ounce, uh, probably a 43-101, 5 million ounce uh, resource they have there. They have a positive PEA. Uh, what can you tell us about, about this story and why do you like it and why do you think it can defy the odds against getting a mine into production? Yeah, well, you're right. I was just over there oh, last week. Um, we bought this oh, in, the, in the letter maybe six, eight months ago, and I just went to see. They put out a new resource. So I went to see how that hanged, hung together and what it looked like. And, and 
basically what they've got is a uh, measured and indicated one million ounces at a grade of over 10 grams a ton. Ooh. And another two and a half million ounces at just about 10 grams per ton. So it's, it's a nice high-grade deposit. There are narrow veins, um, and they, they hang together quite well, meaning that once you start mining these, it's pretty consistent mineralization. Mm-hmm. That's what you want to see. Sure. So they've had a preliminary economic assessment done on this that turned up at about $1,350 gold indicated this thing at an after-tax basis, after-tax basis worth uh, $480 million and it had a 42% IRR versus mm-hmm. the current market cap of maybe $110 million. Uh-huh. So, so it looks good. And, and, okay, so it's located in Northern Ireland. It's an area of the country that needs investment, needs jobs. It's a very environmentally benign operation. It's not going to make much land disturbance as it's underground, and the where they need to build the facilities, they can do it up the hill in what amounts to bog and um, uh, sheep pasture. So mm-hmm. it's, it's all, you know, I think it's permittable. It's simple operation, uh, low cost, low capex. It's something that I think a larger mining company should buy someday. And uh, so that would be the goal of, of Dalradian. Is it? Uh, they are they operators? Do they have the operating talent to to move this thing forward further themselves? They've got a, a the technical team, mining technical team, that's is very solid down there, and they're in the mm-hmm. process of uh, taking a bulk underground sample. So they've got the team capable of of getting it that far, and the team knows how to mine. Um, but my preference is that this is such a high-quality deposit that somebody will buy it someday. And, mm-hmm. and the CEO and president have been involved in other companies which they sold to majors. In fact, these are the, some of the fellows behind Aurelian, which uh, found a deposit in Ecuador and sold it to Kinross. Sure. So they've got that skill set that I like to see. Well, and I'm sure that uh, one of the first things you look at, and you haven't really mentioned, but it's, uh, you know, who are the people that are involved with these different companies, uh, junior mining companies on and on up, I'm sure. Uh, if you have people that have had past successes, that, that certainly increases the odds, too, I suppose. Yes, yeah, it's, it's an experience they've been through, and so they know, the, they know the drill, if you will. I think, you know, number one, you need to be comfortable with their management and that they're honest. Uh, that's kind of yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it, it's not necessarily a given, is it? I mean, there are people, and, and it's not necessarily obvious that there that there's a lack of honesty in a company. And there's, uh, you know, the 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 best uh, the best cheats are those that are, are that are not discovered, I suppose. So it's, but so knowing who you're dealing with is absolutely uh, of absolute absolutely of paramount importance. So you mentioned it's an underground mine. They they uh, enter it by uh, an incline of some kind. Uh, yeah, there'll be an incline uh, from the surface. There's a small um, op- uh, tunnel there right now that was put in back, I don't know, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so entry through there. Yeah, and and Dalradian uh, picked this up. Then obviously somebody else had done some work on it earlier, which is usually the case with these things. But yeah, someone's yeah. usually prospected something. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, that's certainly one to keep your eye on. That's 109 million shares, a dollar two earlier today when I looked at it, giving it a market cap about 111 million. As you mentioned, that's very close with a 480. Was that uh, present value discounted by what, five, 10%? What, 
five percent or something? It was, it was an eight percent discount rate. Eight percent. Okay. After That's tax. good to know. After yeah. tax. Okay. Very good. All right. Pilot Gold is another one you mentioned that you uh, think highly of. Uh, this is one I'm not familiar with uh, very much at all. I probably should be the way it looks. Uh, they're, they, they talk on their website about proprietary uh, exploration methods. Uh, can you tell us anything about that? Yeah. Um, that that, that lay people could understand? I don't know what their proprietary exploration techniques are, except that they've got a very intelligent, successful group of geologists in the field who can conceptualize uh, new ideas, new targets, and have been quite successful doing so in the past. The same group here, again, sold their deposit, Frontier Gold had, to Newmont for $2.1 billion. So again, you've got a successful team that made a discovery and managed to go through the process of selling it to a major. That's that's really important. Sure. So, so this pilot gold, they're active in Turkey and Nevada. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably the most exciting project is in Nevada, where they've um, drilled some holes into a type of deposit that Nevada is famous for, a carlin-type deposit. Mm-hmm. They've had some very encouraging hits. And this is blind from the surface, so they're really using their geologic knowledge. And it's, you know, it's not a gold deposit yet. It's not economic yet. But the results are such that it's it's very encouraging. So it's leading it's leading me to, to stick with it and say this this may actually be something. Mm-hmm. If it is, it's worth a lot more than what they're trading for. Mm-hmm. And then over over in Turkey they've got uh, one copper gold deposit defined in joint venture with tech and they've got another area where they're defining they've got another resource to find, but it's a big system, they're getting good gold and copper numbers out of this. Um, but they've yet to actually find the heart of it, if you will. Uh, is the company well-financed, Brent? Yeah, good question. Good question, Jay. Right now, if you don't have money, you can't raise money. It's, you're dead in the water. These guys have got uh, $35 million about. And uh, are they on a uh, – so are, are we looking at a, a shallow, low-grade oxide type of uh, possibility here that's typical of these, of these Carlin deposits? Not this one. This is, you know, it's deep, so it's going to be sulfide. It's going to be a little bit of complex metallurgy. But, you know, you're in Nevada. There's a yeah. number of sites that can process it. Your infrastructure costs are going to be lower. Um, so I've got in the back of my mind the size and grade of a deposit I need mm-hmm. to see to make this worthwhile. And mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, seeing if we can get there. So in your process of, uh, of uh, looking for a fatal flaw, you'll be watching what comes out in the data, the drill data, and, and making your own uh, appraisals as time goes on as to whether this is a keeper or not, I guess. That's right. And that's going to be based on what I think it's going to cost, you know, ballpark for underground mining, processing, and capital. Right. Well, it's, uh, this, these are two very good uh, situations. Pilot Gold... 103 million shares, a dollar 40 Canadian earlier today, 144 uh, million dollar market cap. And, and let me just ask you: We only, my engineer's saying we have less than two minutes left on the Dalradian. Are they they're well funded as well, Brent? Uh, they are, but I noticed just today they're halted, and I know they need about 15 to 20 million more dollars to complete yeah. the underground works they've got planned. So, yeah, I don't know what they're halted for, but maybe they're raising money. 
Yeah, could very well be. I know that you, uh, oh, we only got a minute left. I know Riverside uh, Exploration was another one you mentioned, Laura uh, mm-hmm. Exploration, uh, two others that you like a lot. Unfortunately, we're out of time. We'll have to have you back, and you can talk about those and much more in the future if you like, Brent. Thank you very much for being with me. Once again, it's always good to hear your ideas. Thank you. Well, that's all the time we have for the first hour today. Uh, I want to thank Tacey Trump, my producer, Matt Widener, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. But there is more to come at jtaylormedia.com. Go there immediately to hear what David Jensen has to say. And he's some very interesting things about some anomalies in the platinum group markets. And uh, also, I'll be talking to Glenn Downs, the chief of staff uh, to Congressman Wendell Jones. So go to jtaylormedia.com immediately. I'll see you there. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. 